Welcome to The Real Deal, where God, His purposes, and His people are celebrated. I'm Rachel Inouye, bringing you encouragement through real life, people, and their stories. It's The Real Deal. Hey, let's get started. Stuart Briscoe has taught me for years and years through his sermons, books, and over his radio ministry of Telling the Truth. Stuart is originally from England and came to the United States to pastor the church that I am now a member of. Stuart served as pastor of Elmbrook Church for over 30 years and became minister-at-large with his wife, Jill, as they have served literally all around the globe, equipping pastors and leaders. It was my distinct honor to sit down and chat a bit with Stuart, and no surprise, I even learned during our interview together. Here's a bit of my conversation for the Real Deal podcast with Stuart Briscoe, my pastor and my friend. Stuart Briscoe, are you introvert or extrovert? I'm both. I don't know if that's permissible. I don't know if it's possible. But um, uh, much of my uh, much of my life is is spent in the midst of a large group of people and to whom I, I, I'm required to relate. Mm-hmm. And uh, at first that was extremely difficult for me. It's become less difficult as time has gone on. So uh, I'm looking out all the time. I'm reaching out to people all the time. However, having said that, I am fundamentally shy. Uh, I, I am fundamentally a quiet person. And uh, so when... When, when I have the opportunity to be quiet and on my own and pick up a book and read, yep. I'm perfectly content. Yeah. So maybe I have to, um, maybe I have to moderate my answer a little bit and say fundamentally I'm an introvert, uh, but of necessity, uh, I've I've learned certain extroverted practices. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Okay, coffee, tea. Neither. Dog, cat, neither, either. I don't understand that question. Do you like dogs or cats? Oh, dog. I thought you said God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dogs. Okay. Books, movies. Oh, books. Morning bird, night owl. Uh, Morning. Silence, music. Depends entirely on the music. (laughs) Okay. Uh, uh, Some music, I I long for silence. Yeah, that's good. Make it stop. <laughs> Make it stop. Okay. Leaned in, laid back. Uh, I suppose I I tend to be laid back, but it's it's a balance again. I don't have the opportunity to be laid back sometimes. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's true. Okay. Shower or bath? Shower. Driver, passenger. A, a driver, I guess. Okay. I think it gets our listeners used to your voice. Okay. By the way, I love your voice. Oh, really? Yeah. I heard your voice before I ever met you. I've, I've, I've been uh, having speech therapy. You have? Yes, because uh, my voice has, has been not very clear and husky recently. Uh, there was an ENT specialist in the congregation one time. And he came and talked to me about it. Afterwards, he said, you should get that checked out. Really? And he said, you've either got something wrong with your vocal cords or that you need some therapy for them. Well, there was, fortunately, there was nothing wrong with them. But the, the, the vocal cords, I understand, are muscles. Yeah. 
and uh, like all muscles, when you get to be an old man, they they atrophy. Atrophy. And so, I don't know how my vocal mo- vocal cords got a chance to atrophy. <laughs> I don't but, either. But they did. I assume you talk in your sleep. <laughs> I, I, I think so. So, um, no, I talk in other people's sleep. <laughs> That's true. So you know, I had some vocal therapy when I was a young girl. Did you? Yeah, I um, I was a cheerleader for one year. But, you know, you have to project and cheer the team on and all the noise in the gymnasium. And it caused me to have a hoarse voice. And I like to sing and I like to talk. And so I had these little nods or vocal cord nodules, problems on my vocal cords. So I had to do all sorts of exercises and try mm-hmm. to, you know, make sure that the they have to press together properly. That's right. You know, so I had to do wall push-ups and a bunch of different things as I was vocalizing. But that's neither here nor there. Okay, so with the podcast spot being called The Real Deal, and I told you that my dad always encouraged all of us to be the real deal, I want you to know that um, it's only in the last recent years that I've come to know you a little more personally, but I really honor you, Stuart. I am so glad to even get to know you, and I think you're the real deal. I think you just be who God made you be. You do the things God called you to do and you do them with excellence and I am just appreciative to get to sit down. You're very kind. Thank you. You're the real deal. So is there somebody in your life that was the real deal? They weren't phony and you knew how did that affect your life? And we may know them, we may not ever know them, but who were those people in your life? Yes, uh, I was going through some old photographs this week. Yeah. And to my delight, I came across somebody I didn't even know I had a photograph of him. He was a, a regular army officer, okay. and he lived in our town uh, during the war. Uh, so that was during the time I was from nine years of age to 15. Okay. His name was Captain H.S. May of the Royal Artillery, oh. and uh, he was my hero. Mm. And... Uh, I uh, I had a profound respect for him. He was a career army officer. He was a single man. He never married until he actually retired from the army, but wow. he lived long enough to see some of his grandchildren married. It was it was really quite remarkable to be a very old man, and uh, he was a great encouragement to me as as a young uh, young boy. But years and years and years later, when I used to broadcast into England, yeah. he would write to me regularly oh. and uh, correct some of my theology for me. <laughs> Lovingly. Cap- Captain H.S. May. So when was the photograph taken? If you didn't even... Was it of the two of you? Or? No, it was, no, it was a studio photograph. Oh. And I have no idea. Uh, the, actually, the, the photographs I was looking for... Uh, through came from my brother okay and he he passed away a couple of years ago and uh, i finally got around to looking through all this stuff he sent me wow yeah well it takes <laughs> some time to go through that yeah so you have a brother is he older or younger i don't well, remember he passed away right but he was he, he older was than four you? years younger four years younger any mm. sisters no just two of us. just the two of you so tell me about a little bit about growing up tell me about how you landed in the Marines, the Royal Marines, or tell me about a little bit about your family or your mother. I know your mother was a big uh, influence how, on you. How, how long do we have? 
<laughs> well, we can do part two, part three, it's, part four. <laughs> it's a long time. It's a long time ago. Yeah. Um, my, 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 my growing up years. Uh, well, I, I was born during the Great Depression. Yeah. Uh, my my father uh, had bought a small business, a grocery store, and uh, he was uh, trying to put together a business uh, in in very difficult circumstances. Yeah. I was totally unaware of it, but going through some of his material recently as well, uh, I, I had no idea how how poor we were. They never gave us uh, any. Indication. Any sense of that at all, and um, the it was a, a, a Christian family. My my father was a lay preacher, a good one, oh. and uh, he took it very seriously. Uh, his his Christianity was very conservative, to the point of being separatist. Okay, uh, which I found very difficult. I certainly believed the message he preached. I, I certainly believed the authenticity of my parents' lives, and I I came to faith as as a boy. I couldn't tell you exactly when, but the 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 church ex- experience I had was of a very very small assembly, no young people at all. In fact, I joke now and say that my brother and I were the Sunday school. <laughs> Until we grew up and became the youth group, yes. <laughs> that was right. That, that was it, and so the the particular group that we were part of were known in the town for what we were against and what we didn't do, oh, okay. rather than anything else. And, and so I was uncomfortable with all that. Rather, I was rather pleased when, at the age of seventeen, I left school. Uh, and w- got a job in a bank and was transferred to another town. And uh, that opened up a whole new chapter of, of life for me, including uh, being pushed into preaching. Mm. And uh, that's a long story yeah. I won't bore you with. Uh, I no- never intended to be a banker. I never intended to be a preacher. Uh, but uh, doors opened to me and I, I just went through them. Right. And, uh, and when I'd gone through them, uh, the doors opened. I just kept going. Right. And that's the story of my life. Right. That's how I got here. I remember reading your book about the flowing stream. It wasn't like you would decide something and go that way. It would be just the opening of, of the doors. Uh, let me ask you the banking question, because I think it deals with the real deal. Well, for, for the last four years of my 11 years in, in the bank, I was on the inspection staff. Okay. And uh, we we would inspect everything of a branch when we moved in, and start off by making sure that the the amount of money they showed on their books was the amount of money they got in the safe. Right. And we, we would count it, just hundreds of thousands of pounds, and do it physically. Yeah. And so I remember when I started that they said just look out for phony notes. So I said. Uh, I said, how would I know a, f- a phony note? And right. they said, just to familiarize yourself with the genuine. And uh, that's, a, that's a good rule. Fami- a... Familiarize yourself with the, with the genuine. Yeah. The, the phony will stand out. It really will. It really will. So you were there for 11 years. And then were you preaching at the same time? At yeah. some, there was some yeah. overlap? We, we started doing all kinds of 
things. One one thing that was rather interesting that happened while I was still in banking, working at the head office in Manchester on the inspection staff, I was invited to become an assistant missionary for the InterVarsity Fellowship okay. at the University of Manchester. And they were going to have a special one-week mission led by somebody called the Reverend John Stott. Wow. And and I I was uh, he he brought a team of young, mainly Cambridge, but also some Oxford students with him. Mm-hmm. But for some reason they asked me to, to join the team, and uh, I hadn't even gone to university. I I was working in the right. I was working in the bank, and uh, that's where I first met uh, John Stott. I was doing all kinds of ministry while I was working in the bank. Yeah. And that's where we started Coffee Bar Evangelism. Because for the very simple reason that there were hardly any kids in the churches and there were hundreds of thousands of them in the coffee bars. Yeah, go where they are, right? Go where the fish are. So when you say we, was that you and Jill? Uh, I was single when I first went in the bank. Okay. During the four years I was on the inspection staff, I met and married Jill. Okay. Yes. So did you two start the coffee ministry bar, coffee bar thing, or was it? We we were in right on the beginning okay. of it. Yes, I don't know. The, I wouldn't say we we started it. Okay. But there was a coffee bar across the street from where we lived, and we started going in there. That was, and then of course we went from that to opening our own coffee bars, uh, and then we went from that to traveling around the country showing people how to how to do it. Yeah. So I'm assuming you have people drinking coffee. They're there to, but is there something that you're presenting, or how did it? The whole thing evolved. We'd we'd no idea what we were doing. We knew yeah. we knew we needed to get to these kids, and so what what evolved really was um, we we had the coffee. I'm sure it was very bad coffee. <laughs> uh, we had we had we, we had some bands. That, some of these bands were just getting started. Yeah. Uh, it was in the days of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and the Pretty right. Things, and so they are all aping those people. But at, at that time, well, the Beatles themselves, when you listen to their uh, when you listen to their music, there was I, I think some of their music was very pretty. Yeah, uh, I, I had no idea of the significance of the words, of what this yeah. yellow submarine was all about, yeah. and all at, at the time. And so many of the Christian groups that were getting started, their, their music was, was really quite quite pleasant, yeah. I thought. And um, and we used it. Mm-hmm. And the kids would come to listen to the music. And, yeah. the, and the Christian kids were... Some of them, it was the first time they'd done it in public. Some of it was pretty awful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but nobody, nobody minded. <laughs> in England... This is one of the differences between England and America. Yeah. Americans want everything to be done very polished. Um, the Brits don't worry about that. They, they just say, oh, just have a go. Just have a go. Yeah. And, so uh, that, that's have a go, you, Joe. Have a go. I remember Billy Graham saying to me one time, he said, well, he said, the, the Brits have always muddled through and now sometimes they're stuck in the mud. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, good. But we, we learn by doing. We do. That's, that's, that was the British approach. You even say that 
anything worth doing is worth doing well is a big lie that stops people often. So sure. anything worth doing is worth doing badly. Badly, you say, yes. yeah. Well, that's how people get started. It's not, it's not. People say you're you're encouraging a doctrine of mediocrity, mm. and I say no. This this is an, an, a message of encouragement for people to start. Mm-hmm. Overcome inertia. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Get going mm-hmm. in some area, yeah. and then some of the other. But you also, you do say to pay attention to encouragement, Sure. right? I yeah. think some of the things that you've said have even helped shape my ministry and my focus on kind of running in my lane by paying attention to the way that you are encouraged. Can you tell a little bit about that? En- encourage uh, is, I guess it's, um, I guess it's a, a French derivative, encourage. Uh, courage, of course, comes from the French word cour for mm-hmm. heart. And encouragement is putting heart into people. Uh, that, that's how that's how I look at it. And people lose heart, mm. and so we all know what it is to lose heart, uh, run out of gas, yeah. run out of enthusiasm, run out of hope. Well, encourage is the opposite. Yeah, it's 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 building it up again. Right, and you can do it all kinds of ways. You can do it by patting somebody on the head and saying that was very good. Yeah. Or you can put an arm around their shoulder and say, that wasn't so good, but we can do better next time. Yeah. Or sometimes we can we can put an arm around their waist and say, come on, we'll do this together. Right. Or sometimes you can kick them in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, basically it goes from head down. Well, it's an anatomical <laughs> encouragement, I call it, yes. <laughs> All the way down. Oh, yes. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I think sometimes we do need a kick in the pants. And sometimes we need somebody to come around beside us. To encourage us. us. To encourage us. Yeah, that's good. So you saw some encouragement in your life that continued to shape you Mm -hmm. to do the preaching. Sure. Yeah. Well, the encouragement I got in in Britain, uh, I used to joke joke about it if... uh, well, when you when you come to America, people are so encouraging and so effusive, and, and <laughs> effusive is the word for the American community to, for a Brit coming oh. into it. And you know, with your own British skepticism, you think to yourself, "Well, it's not that good," you know. But <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, a lady would. I've I've had a number of people have have got up from the back row of a service and come and I stood outside greeting the people as right. they leave, you see. And they tell me that, that that was a great message, changed my life, you see. Well, it changed their life between the back row and the, <laughs> and the door of the church. Yeah, yeah. So I, I call that effusive. Yeah. But in, in England, it's high praise of, if you preach in the church in England, if uh, this, they give you a rather limp handshake and say, thank you, Vicar. Really? Oh, that, that's high praise. Oh. Thank, thank you, Vicar. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I remember one time you said, you're, you're really specific about words. And I like that, because I know I use all sorts of words. But one time I said something like, Stuart, that was fantastic. And you said, Fantastic. That's based in fantasy. I didn't want it to be fantasy. I wanted it to be real. Or I'm like, oh, or it was um, unbelievable. Yeah. And you said, I wanted it to be believable. And it wasn't. And I'm like, oh. You said, no, it was fabulous. I said, fabulous. 
based on the fable, you mean? Yes. Yes. One time you preached on marriage. And Michael and I were seated in the front row. We're usually about three or four back, but this time, I don't know why, but we were seated in the front row. And I want you to tell this, but you ha- you brought a scissor. And you talked about both love and submission. And, and you took the scissor apart. Anyway, and I said, oh, Stuart. And the parts of it were funny, and parts of it were straight scripture, and it had illustrations. It was so good. And I said, that was just a riot, Stuart. <laughs> and you said... <laughs> A riot. (laughs) Kind of like, what would cause it to be a riot? I said, oh, (laughs) I'm not communicating. Well, yes, you are. And and you you have to, I'm sure you, I hope you know this, that that my my responses like that are very much tongue in cheek. Yes. And I, I love, I love to tease people yes. about the things they say. Yes. One time you were going to be speaking on the role of the Holy Spirit, and it was going to be weeks in you know a series. And my family, I think, were asked to you know sing or lead music or whatever. And I asked you via email something, and I said I'm just really looking forward to the teaching, and I will bring lots of paper. You know, meaning I'm going to take down every word you say. <laughs> And you respond back, don't forget your pen. (laughs) It was so funny. I just laughed. I thought, okay, yeah. So I don't know where this is going, but I do know that words are specific for you, and you don't just mess around with words. Well, John John Stott said if you want to present precise truth, you require precise words. Jill complains about I'm far too precise at, at times. So I said, well, if, if, if you prefer imprecision, <laughs> you know, we can try that. Yes. But, but I think there's a lot to be said for being precise. Uh, obviously, it can, it can take it to an extreme. But if, if you wish to convey pre- precise truth, require, you require precise words. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So tell me a little bit about when you started preaching and then like the next steps or that it continued on. And and if you think about from the first time you ever stood before somebody and spoke until now, what's that span of years? 70. Wow. Yeah, I I, I preached my first sermon at 17. And you finished part of it. (laughs) You're known for that. That's right, I'd forgotten (laughs) that. There were three points, and I only got through one of them. Yeah. And I was past finishing time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, starters, you mean to go on. Yeah, well, that's good. <laughs> Let's pause a second. If you are enjoying The Real Deal with Rachel Inouye, subscribe, rate, and review it. I appreciate your support. All right, back to The Real Deal. Do you remember the illustration that you told about the difference between grace and mercy, and you were using, I think, disciplining your son Pete when he was young. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us that? It's so clear and so good. Justice gives you what you deserve, at least it hurts to. Mercy does not give you all you deserve. Grace gives you what you don't deserve. So, while I tell the story about about one one of the kids needing punishment, and of course this was a long time ago they yeah. put me in jail for doing this yeah. now I know but, I spanked but, my kids <laughs> but uh, uh, so I said I said to him he'd done a lot of stuff he shouldn't have done 
I'm going to punish you because if you if you've got to learn that all actions have consequences. Right. And I'm and I'm only going to give you what you deserve. You see. So this is a this is a, a teachable moment. Right. So bend over, and I'm going to give you five whacks on your seat of education with this <laughs> board of uh, you know the seat of learning, but with this board of education. So one, two, three. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Is that all right? Well, that that will do. You said five. I said I said five. And I said and. Uh, you only gave me three, so I said, yeah. He said, five was what I deserved. I said, yes, that's justice. Well, he says, what's three? I said, three is mercy. Mercy does not give you all you deserve. Right. He said, I like mercy better than justice. <laughs> See, So I send him to his room, and then I go, call him an hour later and said, I'm going for an ice cream. Would you like to come? And he said, well, why would I want to come t to watch you eat ice cream? I said, I'm going to, I'd like you to have an ice cream as well. Mm -hmm. And he said, I don't, I don't get this at all. First of all, you said you give me five, and then you gave me three, and you said one was justice and the other was mercy. Now you're going to give me ice cream. What do you call that? And I said, it's called grace. Yeah. Grace gives you what you don't deserve. Yeah. So good. Mm -hmm. So good. Yeah, I'll never forget it. I remember when you said it. Yeah. I'll never forget it and explains truth. You're always a great listener, Rachel. Oh, oh, I love to hear you preach. Love it. Yeah. Yes, you do. I, every preacher will look around for recognizable faces in yeah. the crowd, and there's some who the, the recognizable faces telling you, oh, oh, this is pretty boring, <laughs> and others are just animated and you, yeah. you had one of those yeah places. oh praise god yeah, oh, i love are. i love to see you preach watch you preach hear you preach and then there's sometimes when i am just soaking it in and <laughs> and i and that's not just me but i notice like it'll get even a little more fiery and i'm the same way when i mm -hmm. speak to people i like to see that they're engaged sure. you know what i mean yeah. I've, I've tried not to let it if they aren't or if their body posture is giving me something, sometimes they've actually gone somewhere in their mind. It yeah. doesn't mean they're disengaged, because it used to make me think they weren't listening, but they've what I've said is actually taking them somewhere, yeah. so they're sorting it out That's a, a little point. bit. You know, mm -hmm. They're sorting something out a little mm -hmm. bit. But do you have a favorite illustration, a favorite sermon you've ever preached? You still feel like God would use you to present this. Yes, I think... Um... One of those, uh, there are a number of sermons in, in that category. What, certainly one would be f from 1 Corinthians uh, 15, where Paul says, By the grace of God I am what I am, but his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And it talks about grace three times in that sentence, mm -hmm. and in three different ways. First of all, grace... Grace is a, a divine attitude. And then secondly, grace is a dynamic stimulus. Mm. And then thirdly, grace is a daily enabling. Oh. And, and so that's, uh, that's a message that I've, I've used uh, lots of times. In more recent days, speaking particularly to seniors, I've talked quite a lot about teachers to number our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. Another one that uh, I've, I've preached perhaps more than any other would be seek first the kingdom. Mm. 
and his righteousness and all these other things will be added yeah. uh, unto you. So I can give you a few yeah. like that. Do you feel that that has really borne true in your life? Seek first the kingdom mm-hmm. and all these things have be, been added. I mean, yes. you've lived a long time. Yeah. You've had a good life, I'm assuming, sure. I would say, sure. you know, from an outsider's perspective, sure. but it really is true. Sure. We've been, we've been incredibly blessed uh, and encouraged and supported, yes. There have been, they've been hard times, obviously, yeah. but it, it's, been, it's been a positive, very, very positive experience. Yeah. Okay, so one time I think it was Jill that told me, or maybe somebody else told me, that you and Jill were both going somewhere and you were to preach separate topics or separate talks, and you found out they'd given you the same passage. And so it was like, oh, no, what are we going to do? But, but Jill spoke on Jesus wept, and you spoke on Lazarus come forth. <laughs> and she said it talked about how her bent toward Jesus wept, and yours, Lazarus come forth. How much of who God made you to be has been used in the way he's called you to do? I am fundamentally po- positive, but I'm not unrealistic right. about things. So when when people say, oh, you always say the glass is half full. Well, I said, no, no, I don't. He said, yes, you do. And, and I tend to say it's always half empty. And I said, I don't say either of those things. What I would say is, you see that glass over there? The bottom half of it is totally full and the top half is completely empty. And so if one is optimism and the other is pessimism, the other one is a realism. And and so if I have to have a label, I want to be realistic about things. Am I, am I generally positive about the world situation? Yes, I have no alternative because I know the end of the story is right. new heavens and new earth. Am I pessimistic about man's ability to sort it out right down in the here and now? I'm pessimistic about this, but I know God wins in the end, so that's ultimate positivism. One other question that just came to my mind was, since you've been all over the world, number one, is there a place that you never imagined you'd go that you did, first thing? Where have you gone that you never imagined you'd go? And give me a flavor for worship around the world. (laughs) Um, Growing up in my circumstances during, during the war, if I gave any thought to going anywhere overseas, it was because of, because of the war. Right. Uh, and uh, and then, of course, I was drafted into the Marines during the Korean War, although I was never sent to Korea. So that that was, growing up, that was all I thought about, where I might travel overseas. I never went out of England until our honeymoon. Oh. And Jill says I've hardly been back since... <laughs> That's true. Once you went, <laughs> once you once you went, he flew. never came back. Yeah. So so I, I you know did I go to places that I never thought I would go to? Everywhere fits into that category. Right. Going around the world has been enormous, uh, enormous privilege. I've enjoyed it immensely. I've come to the point now where I, jo- I don't. Uh, I've had enough of the the long travel mm-hmm. and uh, for the first time in my life actually I, I declined a situation that actually I should be there 
right now? Right now, mm. yeah, in Thailand. Oh, okay. But uh, Jill particularly was, was not up for the journey anymore, and, and I didn't object. Right. Um, but we've, we've, we've done it for millions of miles, literally. Yes, yes. And um, I've, I've always enjoyed the travel, not, not getting there and not getting back, that kind of travel. But I've enjoyed the the opportunity to be in different parts of the, of the world and right. see see what's actually going on there, meet the people yeah. there, and uh, worship worship in different parts of the world. Well, it varies dramatically. Well, even the definition of worship, right, uh, right, differs dramatically. In in Europe. It would tend to be. It, this is a very broad generalization. It would be, tend to be more more formal. Yes. Uh, and I I like that. I I think in the commendable effort to make worship attractive to people in in the contemporary American church, using what they call the attractional model. Uh, I think we've jettisoned far too mm, much mm. in in it, and we we lack. The, the sense of awe mm. and, and respect and, and reverence that should be part of it. John Stott again uh, said, uh, we, we should always be serious in our worship, but never solemn. Oh, that's a good distinction. Yeah. So the, there's, there's a place for humor. There's, there's a, uh, I believe the, there's, there's a place for, for joy, joyousness and celebration mm-hmm. but it's not all joy and it's not all celebration yeah. and uh, there's a passage in in hebrews that is intriguing it talks about god giving the law at sinai mm. and how there's a great earthquake and the clouds and the thunder and the lightning and it was an awe-inspiring thing and uh, the writer of the hebrews talks about god really shaking really shaking things up yeah. there and then he says that in the, f- the future is coming, God will sh- will will really shake shake things up in in the final uh, judgment. So he, he puts all this together, and uh, he says, "So let us uh, let us give ourselves to acceptable worship." Mm. And uh, the the big debate about worship in different parts of the world now is. Uh, is going more and more to what is what kind of worship is acceptable to unchurched people. That is not what it says. Right. Ac- acceptable worship is acceptable to him, and they give us t- two clues in all awe and reverence. There you go. And so the, I think there are four key words that we should look for in, in worship, awe and reverence. And then the passage in John's Gospel where where Jesus talks about worship to the Samaritan woman. Spirit and, and he truth. says God is looking for people who worship in spirit and truth. So mm-hmm. the fourth the four key words mm, that's good. are spirit, truth, or awe and reverence. Those are good components to have. Put put all that together, yeah. and a lot of the debate on what constitutes worship right now would would fall into disuse, I think, mm, and, mm. Uh, and, and that's where that's where it belongs. Yeah, I I asked that question because I know you've seen and been in so many places. One of the first times I was far away on an Easter Sunday, 
my husband and I happened to be able to go, was it the British Virgin Islands? It was beautiful, but I didn't want to miss church. I didn't, I wanted to be somewhere on Easter Sunday and God knew the desire of my heart. So we were on this boat. We happened to come in during the morning or whatever. And we were walking on this dock and going to go up into the high hills. And I could hear, I could hear some singing on Easter Sunday, wherever I was. And they were singing, our God reigns, our God reigns. And I felt like God said, no matter where you go, I will be worshipped, and it will be Easter Sunday no matter where you are. And it just really yeah. blessed me. And I thought, I don't know what that congregation's like. I don't know what, what they're wearing, what they look like, but they're worshipping God today, you know, and, well, and it I'll was tell beautiful. Well, what they would be wearing. They would be wearing their very best clothes. Uh, many of them would come out of, yes. of homes. They would not dream of worshipping right. other, other than wearing their best, their Sunday best. We yeah. used to call it Sunday best. Yes, we did too. Did you? Yes, we yeah. did too. So that's what, that is one, one yeah. difference. It's ironic that in the part of the, the, part of the world where the, the churchgoers are most affluent, they're the ones who are going out of their way to look as if they can't rub two pennies together. Right. <laughs> Whereas the people who are in poverty are going out of their way yeah. to, to do it. And you know they have this just the same outfit, mm-hmm. all, all, just, just one. And, yeah, uh, that's good. Anyway. That's good. Okay, so to wrap up, <laughs> could we ever do this again? Of course. Okay, so we don't have to wrap up forever. But um, to wrap up, is there something that you would want to pray for this audience of the people that tune in to listen to The Real Deal? Yes. Well, I have no idea who's in this I don't, audience. I don't either. either it's you. growing. So there may, there may just be you and me. It might be. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> but it might be. Well, that's realism. That's realism. You see. So then you can just pray for me. Yes, I'll pray, I'll As pray for I'm you. As I'm standing pray, in for the listeners. For, pray for myself. <laughs> That'd be good. No, this, this is the nice thing about broadcasting of yeah. any kind. And I like the, the picture of the sower going forth to sow and on one hand he has his big basket of seed and then it will rhythmically with the steps he mm. goes and he he swings it out like this yeah. as he gets the full extent of his arm there's a broadcast of the seed that's wonderful there's, and so hopefully some of the things we've said using this medium uh, have meant that there have been people in many different circumstances uh, who, who have found something helpful and something encouraging. So I, I think I, I'd like to pray for them. That'd be great. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for my friend Rachel. I'm glad that she's had this idea of a podcast and I, I'm glad that she invited me to be part of it. And I'm thankful that we could talk and hopefully say some things that will be encouraging to people out there in radio land or in media land who are eager to hear a word of truth and a word of encouragement. What we have sown, what we have broadcast is is precious seed and this precious seed we pray will find warm, receptive, fertile soil. And now we will water it with our prayers, understanding one man's souls And another man waters, but only God makes things grow. So, Lord, please make things grow to your glory and to people's blessing out of this podcast. Amen. Amen. 
Lord, I just thank you for Stuart. I thank you for his life, God. I thank you that you have designed him. You've equipped him. You've given him the personality, the skills, the experiences that you've poured in, Lord. I thank you for what he's done to pour out, Lord. I just praise you for his life, and I thank you for the long term in one direction headed toward you. And I just pray, God, that he would see your face shine upon him, that he would know that you are gracious to him. And I speak favor over him, blessing. And I just pray that you'd even strengthen his frame, God, that at night he would always lie down and sleep in peace, not in pieces, for you're the one that makes him dwell in safety. And I just bless his family, his marriage, his children, his grandchildren. You say you bless to the thousandth generation. So I just pray a blessing over all things Briscoe in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. you. Wonderful. Bless you. (laughs) You've been listening to The Real Deal with me, Rachel Inouye, helping people celebrate their significance and the genius of God in them. Audio engineering by my husband, Michael Inouye. Thanks, babe. Theme music by Andrew Grace.